Good morning again. We are glad you're here today. It is probably not the kind of day that we would have uh, all wanted to come our way with the inclement weather, but we're glad that we're able to be here. Appreciate so much your presence. We thank you for that. The snow is beautiful. It reminds us, I'm th- I can't help but think about the words of Isaiah. When he said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And so there's something about the snow that is refreshing and reminds us of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. I do thank you again for being here today. We hope and pray that our service together today will be beneficial, that we will glorify God and lift Him up in our praise. Uh, Thank you to Jared for preaching last week. Uh, Jared did a great job, as always. I appreciate him and his family and all the wonderful things that they do for the congregation here. We're going to be looking today at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And as you look at Luke chapter 8, I want you to consider with me the theme of our lesson today, the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is the heart. The Bible has a lot to say about the heart, the mind. You remember Solomon many years ago said, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. I think about Jesus during His earthly ministry. He said on one occasion, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In the Sermon on the Mount, recorded by Matthew in chapter 5, down through chapter 7. You remember Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus has often been described as the master teacher. It was said of Him on one occasion, No one, no man ever spoke like this man in John 7, verse 46. The teaching and preaching of Jesus was incomparable. The Lord had the innate ability to connect with people. There was something about Jesus that attracted people. There was a certain sense of magnetism. And people were drawn to Him. And no doubt one of the reasons was because of His compassion. Another, His love. His concern for the human family. Jesus had the ability to take what we might call very common things and then from those common things, make a spiritual point. And so in Luke chapter 8, we have Jesus setting forth a parable. And a parable was used by Jesus in this context to convey to those in the first century something about the power of the seed and the soil in which that seed is deposited. By way of application, he's talking about the human heart and how that seed once deposited into the heart has the ability or the potential to bring forth fruit. So having said that, let's let's look for a moment or two at Luke chapter 8. I want to begin by backing up and calling attention to verse 4 in chapter 8. The first thing that we want to do is talk about the seed. What about the seed? Well, in verse 4, Luke said, When a great multitude had gathered, and others had come to him from every city, 
he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples then asked this question. What does this parable mean? (coughs) Excuse me. Jared, would you do me a favor and get me some water, please? Apologize for that. A little tickle in my throat. And uh, I guess it's the weather, but uh, a little water will help. So in verse 10... Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So, first and foremost, let's just think for a minute or two about the seed. Now, there is a principle that dates all the way back to creation that relates to the seed. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible talks about the majestic handiwork of God. God was the Almighty Creator. He's the one that brought the heavens and the earth into being. He's the one that made man in His own image. In verse 11, though, Moses tells us that every seed brings forth after its own kind. That is a principle that has been at work since the, since the very beginning of time. If you want to reap corn, then you've got to plant corn seed. If you want to reap okra, then by the same token, you've got to sow the right kind of seed. And so there is this principle at work that Jesus is talking about here. Thank you so much. So, With regard to the seed, there is this principle, as I said a moment ago, every seed brings forth after its own kind. Now Jesus is going to tell us that the seed of the kingdom is the Word of God. In order to make a New Testament Christian, what would you have to preach and teach? You'd have to preach and teach the gospel, wouldn't you? Not adding to nor taking from. So you have this seed principle, and then what about the potential of the seed? The beauty of seed is, once that seed is deposited into the heart of the earth, there's potential. That is, if it's placed in the right kind of soil, it will ultimately yield fruit. Seed does no good if you keep it in the bag, does it? Seed does no one any good if it remains in the co-op. But if you take that seed and begin sowing it in fertile ground, what happens? It begins to bring forth fruit, doesn't it? So herein lies this great principle. Seed, ultimately, once it's placed in the ground, germinates and then brings forth growth or fruit. 
By the same token, what Jesus is saying here, the, the point, the application is, when God's Word is sown in the right kind of heart, ultimately it will bring forth fruit, won't it? But it has to be sown in the right kind of heart, the right kind of soil. Matter of fact, in verse 15, Jesus identifies the heart that, it, that ultimately yields fruit is an honest and good heart. There's something about a person's integrity involved in the redemptive process. To be willing to listen to the Word of God. As Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So with that in mind, let's talk now about the soil. Jesus uses four different types of soil. Each and every type of soil reflects a different type of heart. Out of four types of soil, only one is productive. 25%. One in four. So having said that, Let's know what Jesus says, and note, if you would, the application, the point. In verse 11, He said, The parable is this, the seed is the Word of God. Verse 12, first and foremost, He's going to talk about the compacted soil. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the Word, of, the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now you remember back in verse 5, Jesus talked about that sower going out to sow. And He said, Some of the seed fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. So, the kind of heart that Jesus is talking about here is a heart that doesn't yield any fruit. Matter of fact, what he is saying is that the mastermind behind the heart as spoken of here is the devil. And the devil is sowing deception and doubt, isn't he? In Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talked about those who hear the word of the kingdom but don't understand it. And he said, immediately the wicked one snatches away that which was sown in the heart. What that says to me is the devil knows something about the power of the Word of God and the potential, the potential of that Word. The devil knows that if that seed is deposited into the right kind of heart, it'll bring forth, soil, it'll bring forth fruit. But if he can keep that seed from germinating in the heart, what happens? No fruit. The devil is the master of sowing seeds of doubt and deception. You know, John in Revelation chapter 12 identified the devil as the deceiver of the whole world. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter identified him as the God of this age. Now Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. God's Word has power. 
But that word is robbed of her power if it doesn't fall in the right kind of heart. In other words, if it's not an honest and good heart, there's no possibility for it to yield fruit. Now you think about how many people in the world today have had the opportunity to hear the gospel and they've heard the truth in simplicity. But for whatever reason, they're just not open to what they hear. They doubt the integrity of the Scriptures. They doubt the integrity of God. They have the idea that, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe. I mean, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Again, the devil understands something about the power of that seed. If you go back and look at Genesis chapter 3, you remember... In Genesis chapter 3, God had created man, placed him in the Garden of Eden. And the devil came on the scene. And the devil raises a question to Mother Eve. He wants to know, has God said you're not to eat of every tree of the garden? And she said, well, of every tree of the garden we may freely eat. But of that tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you're not to eat it nor touch it lest you die. Now God never said anything about not touching that fruit or that tree, but they were not to eat from it. And so here's what the devil said to Mother Eve, you will not surely die. Was that true or false? It was false, wasn't it? So again, you think about people that hear the gospel and they hear it in its simplicity, in truth, God's plan of salvation. How many times have you heard people say, well, you know, you really don't have to be baptized into Christ. It's really not that big of a deal. You don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. I mean, the church was an afterthought on the part of God. No, that's not what the Bible says, does it? And so if the devil can deceive and disrupt and create doubt, then ultimately he's the winner. Now, there's a second type of soil, second type of heart that Jesus talks about. The first is this compacted soil. The second is identified by Jesus as rocky soil. We might call it craggy soil. Hard to, it's hard to bring forth a garden if you've got a lot of rocks. Or if you have some soil, but underneath that bed of soil, there's a ledge of rock. And so note, if you would, verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, Jesus said, they fall away. Now, if you want to make sure that that seed is going to bring forth fruit, you've got to put it in the right kind of soil. It's got to be watered and cultivated and cared for, doesn't it? It's got to develop what we might call a root system. Now Jesus is talking about people who spiritually have no roots. You remember the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 talked about people who are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. They're gullible for anything that comes down the pike. They're open to any and every new thing. Well, Jesus here said there are a couple of problems 
with regard to this kind of heart. Number one, because there is no root system. When tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, that's found in Matthew 13, Jesus said they stumble. Now we've had an unusual 20, 21 months in this country, really globally speaking. You think about what the coronavirus has done to our country and the impact that it has had on our economy, on the mental well-being of people, and some of the problems that have come about as a result of the virus. But here's the real danger. There have, there have been some folks who have become casualties of spiritual warfare because of this virus. What do I mean by that? They're not faithful. They're not in tune with the will of God. They had no deep root system. And if you don't have deep roots, and, if, and by that I simply mean if you're not grounded in the truth of Almighty God, when troubles and trials come, I promise you, you will not make it through. Won't happen. You've got to, you've got to be developing a strong faith today. Why? So that tomorrow, when tough times come, you can battle your way through it. And you can come out on the other side. There are folks in this congregation haven't been here one time in the last 20, 21 months. Not one time. Now it might be that there are some, because of medical conditions, are unable to get out, and I understand that. But listen, when people can go on vacation, when they can go to restaurants, when they can go to work, when they can do any and everything, but they can't come to worship, there is a heart problem. That's it. No root there. There's nothing to build on. And there are some congregations, there are some people in God's church, you couldn't build a work on them if you had to. Why? Because there's nothing there. There's no spiritual foundation. Now, there are a lot of other things that obviously can destroy a person's faith. Tribulation, trial. I mean, there are people that have lost loved ones, and because of that, they've questioned God. They've wanted to know, where was God when my child died, my wife died, my husband died, etc.? God is where He has always been. In heaven. When God's Son died on Calvary, you know where He was? He was in heaven. When your child died, your wife died, your husband died, God was where He was 2,000 years ago, on His throne. And so don't allow the tribulations and trials of life to destroy and undermine your faith. And sadly, sometimes people do. And Jesus here is talking about the danger of sowing seed on the wrong kind of soil and that seed not germinating and bringing forth growth. 
So you have the rocky soil, the craggy soil. There is a third type of soil that Jesus talks about. Look now at verse 14. Jesus said, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Now he's talking about the crowded soil. That is, there are people, spiritually speaking, whose lives are so cluttered and so crowded, they just don't have time for God. God's not a priority. God's not at the apex of their life. You remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That word first there means before anything else. I think what happens sometimes is we get so busy with life and we have so many different things going on that God becomes secondary. He's not at the apex of life. He's not what's most important. He's not central, the focal point. Remember Jesus said we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? John would say we love Him because He first loved us. Love is the catalyst for serving Him, isn't it? And yet, listen again to what Jesus said, Luke 8, verse 14. Here are people who have the Word of God choked with what? The cares of life. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about the danger of trying to serve two masters. He said, no man can serve two masters. There are some people, they're so caught up and preoccupied with, quote-unquote, life that the seed of the kingdom is choked out. In other words, it doesn't bear fruit. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, Set your affection, set your mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. You remember in Luke chapter 12, Jesus talked about the rich farmer. And in this parable, Jesus had prefaced it by saying, Take heed, beware, a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things he possesses. So he tells a parable about a rich farmer. And business is good. Matter of fact, he said so much so that he's going to pull his barns down and build bigger barns. And there bestow all of his crops and goods. And his motto will be, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, that's what's, that's what's most important. I've got to enjoy the bounty of my work. And Jesus said, let me tell you what, you've got a problem. You're going to leave this world tonight. And all the things that you've accumulated, whose are they going to be? There are a lot of folks they are so locked in on their job, on their hobby, on some type of athletic endeavor, 
fishing, hunt, whatever. Just don't have time for God. And then know what he says. Riches. Anything wrong with money? Absolutely not. Abraham was very rich according to Genesis 13. But Paul said that those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful or harmful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. All Jesus is saying there, or rather all Paul is saying there, is that when people are so consumed on making money and laying up in store, they forget about that bank account in heaven. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People get so caught up in the almighty dollar. And you know, Solomon said many years ago, he that loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. In other words, the more you have, the more you want. And there are people in our world today, it's all about making money. The almighty dollar. Well, money's good. You can't take it with you. Paul said, we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. And then note, if you would, he says, the pleasures of life. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul dealt with people who were followers of Epicurus. The Epicureans, their philosophy was maximize pleasure, minimize pain. Anything wrong with pleasure? No. But Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, talked about people who were lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In other words, their interests, their well-being, their gratification, what they want, more important than anything else. And Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, these are things that choke the life out of someone who wants to be a disciple of His. Many years ago, I remember hearing about a professor, a very demanding professor. And this man was well-educated, had two PhDs. And so he had required his students to prepare a paper. When the day came for the paper to be turned in, one of the students began to enumerate all the reasons why he didn't have his finished. He said, well, you know, I guess just to put it simply, he said, I've got too many irons in the fire. This professor looked at him and he said, I suggest you build a bigger fire. You know, sometimes we can let the cares and the pleasures and the riches of this world to come between us and the Lord. Now there is a fourth type of soil, fourth type of human heart represented by Jesus. Look at verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble or honest heart Honest and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience, endurance, or perseverance. So note if you would, you know we talk about people, and sometimes you'll hear, you'll hear some say, well you know he or she has a good heart. 
Well, what Jesus is saying is, if you have a good heart, you have an honest heart. So, if we have an honest and good heart, when we hear His Word, and we understand the responsibilities of living for Him, what happens? We investigate, we internalize, and we live out on a daily basis His commands in life. That seed first has to be deposited into the heart. And that seed, once deposited, deposited, will germinate. You remember in Romans chapter 6, Paul said, But God be thanked that though you were the servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered to you. Let me give you another example. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to those people. They had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And Luke said, when they heard those things pertaining to the kingdom of God in the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized. Both men and women. So what do you you infer from this? Well, they had an honest heart, had a good heart, they heard the gospel in all, of its puri- in all of its purity. They responded with an obedient faith. And they became members of the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas, they'd been in Berea preaching and teaching the gospel. They had been run out of the city of Thessalonica. And so the Bible says that those people in Berea were more, the Bible says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily. So what what about this honest and good heart? An honest heart, a good heart, is reflected in the life of somebody who sits down with God's Word and they begin sifting through it. They hear the message. And they're evaluating what they have heard with what this book says. And if this book says to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of sin, be baptized into Christ, that's what they do. If this book says to be faithful until death, that's what they do. Why? Because they're trying to bring forth fruit unto God. That word deposited into the heart, it germinates and ultimately it yields growth, doesn't it? So you think about your heart, where you are spiritually speaking. Every one of us fall into one of these categories. Four possibilities. My hope and prayer is that each and every one of us here today, that we have an honest, a noble, and good heart. 25%. Only 25% had the right kind of heart. No wonder Solomon said, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. The heart is an imperative. Again, Paul said, They obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. So are you saying then that there are things that I have to come to understand in order to become a child of God? Well, sure. 
Jesus said it's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. I've got to know something about Christ, His deity. The fact that He was the Word and became flesh. That He is the great I Am. And I've got to be motivated enough to repent of my sins, to walk away from that old lifestyle. To confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then be immersed in water so that my sins can be washed away or forgiven. And the Bible says that it is at that point that God then adds me to the church. Listen, that's just the beginning. When we obey the gospel, that's the start of the new life. And then the goal is to grow. As Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today I ask you, the heart of the matter, how's your heart? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ. To do what they did on Pentecost Day, obey the gospel, let God wash your sins away, put you in the church, and then be faithful until death. God will reward all who have lived for Him, won't He? James said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. When he's been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord's promised to them that love him. If you're here today and for whatever reason you're not living as you should, you need the prayers of the church. We would be more than happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.